0: Oh, Welcome to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight. We are the retro talk program for nostalgia and baby boomer stuff right here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Smitty.
1: I'm Mike. And I'm
0: George. And we welcome you to our program today. We're so pleased to have you with us. We have a program that we hope that you're going to enjoy and something that's going to bring back memories from a different era. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about uh, here amongst ourselves is the fact that there's a lot of times when we all used to get together as a family to watch TV. We've talked about it before in the past. There was a program that uh, was very popular on Saturday nights that pretty much the whole family would get together to watch. Let's give you a little um, audio clip and see if you can guess what we're talking about. That is the champagne music of Lawrence Welk. Now, Lawrence Welk was one of those perennial television personalities that I remember from back in the day, and we all have memories of watching Lawrence Welk. Hopefully most of them are good memories for those of you. I was telling George and Mike that I've run into some people that have had kind of some, not so... Pleasant memories, but uh, we're going to hope that this is going to be a very pleasant trip down memory lane talking about Lawrence Welk and his TV family. And we all have memories of watching Lawrence Welk. We wanted to do this show because it was one of those programs that we remember from that time period when we all used to get together. Lawrence Welk, very well-remembered television personality. I want to um, get your guys' uh, input on this, because we're going to have a lot to talk about during this half-hour program. Mike, George, uh, what specific memories do you have of watching Lawrence Welk back in the day?
1: Smitty, I remember as a a young boy, seven, eight years old, earliest memories of television. Of course, in my years of being seven and eight years old, everything in television was black and white. But the bubble machine... Mm -hmm. The bubble machine in the opening, and my grandmother was a devout follower of the Lawrence Welk show. No Saturday would go by unless she was hospitalized or traveling where we wouldn't have Lawrence Welk on. I know he came on on Saturday nights, but I think it was either 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock, followed by boxing sponsored by (laughs) Gillette. You know, what a contradiction from going from Lawrence Welk to the weekend boxing sponsored by Gillette. But I do recall vividly opening the Lawrence Welk show with the bubble machine, the bubbles floating. I was enchanted, just entranced by the bubbles. How do they do that? So many bubbles <laughs> flying around. And then they would cut to the uh, the cast, mm-hmm. the, the guests in the cast, but there was always Myron Florin. And in the black and white era, folks, you had a very limited control of, of how the lighting would be, especially on a live show, much like Lawrence Welk and the other live shows. And the reflection and glare from the studio lights to the chrome on the accordions Mm -hmm. and the brass instruments in the Lawrence Welk band. And even Lawrence Welk, even his tuxedo for that matter, the reflection of the buttons and and the glow, and it caused excitement. And it was almost a, a weekly ritual that Lawrence Welk would kick off Saturday night and, of course, the next day being Sunday. But you would always have... Lawrence Welk there Saturday night, and he would have his guests, and it was, when you're seven, eight, nine years old, you don't know about purity and values Mm -hmm. and quality, you just know what made you entertained, and it was big people programming, Lawrence Welk, but at the same time, you had... You had the Lennon Sisters, who were roughly my age, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. coming out with their little squeaky young voices. And to this day, I'm still in love with uh, with the youngest of the Lennon Sisters, and uh, remembering them in their dresses and their frills and how exciting that was. And it was always a treat to have the Lennon Sisters appear on a Lawrence Welk episode, probably because they were about the same age I was. You could probably relate to them a little bit. Yes. you know. Yeah. George?
2: Well, my recollection of Lawrence Welk was, of course, his show business formula, which was basically simple, easy-listening family music. And what I enjoyed about it was that it was a program that allowed adults and young people to uh, enjoy a, a program that offered a variety of songs and music that could have appeal to multiple generations. And I think this was especially true with the music that, shall we say, represented more contemporary for that day, but they were able to repackage it uh, using uh, the wonderful studio musicians that he had, and that was another thing that came to mind was uh, beyond the excellent guest stars that he had on the program, were that the musicians on there were extraordinarily capable, very, very talented. The ones that come to mind, of course, are Neil LeVang, uh, who was a, a noted uh, guitarist and studio musician. His signature song was uh, his rendition of Ghost Riders in the Sky, And then, of course, as Mike noted, the Lennon sisters, who, of course, uh, had a fusion of styles, including Patty Page, Connie Francis, the Mills brothers, as well as the Andrews sisters. And they were, of course, especially noted for their Yuletide hymns. Those of you that remember the original Mickey Mouse program, the Mouseketeers, Bobby Burgess, how many of you remember what a great dancer he was and the various partners that he had during the 27-year run of the program, including Barbara Boylan, Sissy King, and Elaine Balden. And then, of course, there was Joanne Castle, who was a noted honky-tonk pianist. And, of course, we recall such great guests like the Chanteys with their signature uh, surf music music, Pipeline. You know, this was all provided on the Lawrence Welk show, and it allowed both adults and young people uh, within the similar time frame uh, to experience the spectrum of music in a way that was non threatening and unobtrusive. I thought it was well done.
0: Certainly it was, George, and a little bit of um, background on Lawrence Welk on the man himself, who had very humble beginnings. He uh, was born on March 11th, 1903 and uh, he was born in the German-speaking community of Strasbourg, North Dakota. His family, and he lived in an area that was predominantly German-speaking, so he didn't learn how to speak English until he was about 21 or so, and he always maintained that accent that we're all so familiar with that we remember from those days. Lawrence Welk decided on a career in music. And persuaded his father to buy a mail order accordion for four hundred dollars. It was a lot of money back in those days. It was a Cute. lot, yeah, a lot of money back then. And he told his father, he promised his father that he would work on the farm in order to repay the accordion until he was twenty-one years old. Well, he became twenty-one years old, and on his twenty-first birthday, he had uh, not only paid for that accordion, but had also made arrangements to also help the family finances with any money that he might earn. And he began um, his different bands that he that he had in the, during the 1920s. He performed with various bands before starting his own, and he led big bands in the Dakotas, North Dakota, South Dakota. He was also the radio station band. His band was the radio station band for station WNAX in Yankin, South Dakota. That was a very popular radio station back in those days. During um, the 1930s, Lawrence Welk's band specialized in what was known as sweet music, that is, music that played light melodic tunes as opposed to some of the more orchestrated groups of the era, such as Benny Goodman, Duke Ellington, and some of the other more well-known orchestras of the time. And the term champagne music came as a result of a dancer commenting to Lawrence Welk that his music was light and bubbly, much like champagne. That name stuck from that point forward and his career grew as far as his musical playing. He began a 10-year stint at the Trianon Ballroom in Chicago, and he drew huge crowds there, and he also participated in radio broadcasts, and in uh, musical film shorts that were uh, sort of the precursors to music videos. Now, the Lawrence Welk Show itself aired locally in Los Angeles for four years, from 1951 to 1955, and then nationally for another 16 years on ABC, from 1955 to 1971, followed by 11 years in first-run syndication from 1971 to 82. You know, my personal memories of watching the Lawrence Welk show, I used to watch it with my mom and dad. And at that time, and I was telling uh, both Mike and George before we went on the air, that um, my recollection was that everybody, and I mean everybody that we knew, watched Lawrence Welk on Saturday nights. We had... Our next door neighbors watched Lawrence Welk and we had family members that watched Lawrence Welk and we had friends across town that watched Lawrence Welk and everybody seemed to watch Lawrence Welk. And I liked the music and uh, being a little kid, I think I've commented on our program perhaps maybe a long time ago. My mom and dad were married at a, a later age, so I actually grew up listening to a lot of big band music, a lot of orchestras and things like that. So that was right up my alley. I I enjoyed it and enjoyed all the different characters, uh, the people that who we came to know, Myron Florin and Larry Hooper and... And, and the uh, Bobby Burgess and all the people that were part of the Lawrence Welk family, but it was really uh, quite a quite a juggernaut, I suppose, somewhat along the lines of Ed Sullivan. But you made an interesting comment, George, uh, during pre-production that Lawrence Welk was more of a kind of maybe on a little higher level.
2: I think so, very much so, because Lawrence Welk was able to take music that basically appealed to different generations. And he was able to, in some cases, repackage it in a way that uh, I don't want to use the word made it palatable, but certainly made it accessible and in a way allowed adults to appreciate uh, the music that was popular with younger generations. But at the same time, younger generations could appreciate the music that their parents liked. And I think this is what was the genius behind the Lawrence Welk program is that it actually provided an opportunity to bring people together in in not a contrived manner, but in a way that uh, was equitable, it was fair, it was very inclusive. I think the other thing that comes to mind when I compare Lawrence Welk with Ed Sullivan is that, to me, Ed Sullivan was a big city production. Whereas I look at Lawrence Welk, and perhaps due to his humble beginnings and how he uh, fashioned his craft, and I do emphasize the word fashioning his craft, he was uh, able to appeal to a broader section of middle America, to small towns, and to people who, let's say, were not accustomed to big city ways. And yet at the same time, because of the universal appeal of the music content that he had, it was able to appeal to the same audience that perhaps viewed Ed Sullivan.
1: His shows were a scrapbook of Americana and a scrapbook of American pop music. And a lot of you younger folks who are listening will not be able to relate to this, but I'll explain how it happened. You would have a family, and in the 50s and 60s, the families typically would eat their meals together in the same room at the same table. There was one television in the home. In the 50s and 60s, for the most part, that television was black and white, but that was the entertainment center for the family. It was a big treat to be able to go out with the family to the movies. It was an even bigger treat to go out to a live event, a concert or an opera or or some type of live event. Lawrence Welk brought the live event into the homes of America, and imagine Saturday afternoon, the chores are done, the lawns are mowed, uh, people are settled in, it, the dinner dishes are done, and 7 o'clock rolls around, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. And in Los Angeles, you basically had uh, you had about six channels that worked in Los Angeles. And, mm-hmm. of course, the major one of the major channels was Channel 7 mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, KBC, and that's the channel that carried the Lawrence Welk Show from 1955 to 1971, but gathered around this black-and-white television, this Packard Bell, which was actually a piece of furniture, in the 50s and 60s. Yes it was. It was it was not a uh, a large device that was stuck on your wall. It was a piece of furniture and the doors to the Packard Bell would open and the TV would warm up and on came Lawrence Welk. The bubble machine and the excitement. This was a live event and Lawrence Welk I think that the the nuance at the time was that he would have themes. A show would have mm-hmm. a theme. Today we're going to enjoy the music of the Netherlands, or the music of Spain today. And the players, the uh, the performers would be in costume, and the music would be themed to whatever the theme was for that next uh, hour of show. And it could be the music of the mountains of northern Spain, or the music's, music of Ireland. We're celebrating... St. Patrick's Day with our special St. Patrick's Day show. And, of course, in black and white, you didn't know that everybody was wearing green, but he would tell you, dressed in Irish Patrick's attire, is little Bobby Burgess, who's going to do a tap dance number of the Leprechaun Polka, or whatever the case may be, but there was a theme, and there was something to look forward to, and it was memorable. people would I remember people would talk about the Lawrence Welk show the next day, or even the next week, Monday about, did you see Lawrence Welk, the costumes? Oh, that was so interesting. They did the they did the beer barrel polka, which was my grandfather's favorite song, and it became a source of conversation for people, and it became an American American pop ritual, a pop music ritual and pop entertainment because a lot of it was impromptu. Even Myron Florin with his accordion, as corny as that would seem nowadays, that was a major form of entertainment. There was very little a studio live programming at the time, Smitty. We've talked about this a number of times where you didn't have a lot of, of high-budget, high-production budget. It was just the show. And when the show was over, you were entertained, you were satisfied, and people went on until the next Saturday when the next theme would come on.
2: I think one exactly. thing that made it really fun to echo what Mike is saying here, and that is that... Because of its broad family-based appeal, this also provided a rite of passage. It was an opportunity for a young person to be able to converse with adults and to talk about something that uh, you both experienced, that you both were able to enjoy, and it actually, I think, helped uh, bring people together. I know I've, I've reiterated this theme earlier, but so oftentimes programming that, that came in later years tended to uh, specialize, and so therefore it divided the demographic, but Lawrence Welk was just the opposite. And because you were able to experience this, you were able to talk about it with your parents, maybe with your friends' parents, maybe with your godparents or uh, with relatives that were also of adult age. And so this, I think, was really important that you as a child could now be included with adult conversation because you were able to experience the same thing. And I think that is a real positive legacy that is oftentimes overlooked from that wonderful program.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, George. And we started our program I mentioned that I've I've talked to a few people over the years who kind of have a negative connotation of Lawrence Welk, and the only thing I can figure is that they probably remember as a little kid being forced to sit next to grandma to watch Lawrence Welk, which is really unfortunate because the Lawrence Welk show was a very wholesome program, a very family oriented show. Lawrence Welk had a high level of ethics when it came to dealing with the people that was his musical family. And yes, he, he did. Yeah, he was very, very, uh, very, very strict in the terms of that he wanted a good show. He wanted everybody to work well together, and it showed. And it showed in his in his programs.
2: He had high production values. That's the term that we would, we would
0: use today. Very high production values.
2: But I want to mention something else that I think uh, showed his conviction about the quality of his program, his ethics, as you mm-hmm. said, his level of integrity. Mister Welk was a pioneer in this sense that when his program was canceled by ABC network in 1971 after 17 years of successful uh, programming He did something that was rather unique at the time, but something now that is regarded as a more commonplace business model, and that is that he began producing the show himself for first-run syndication, and he was quickly back on the air where he remained for 11 more years until his retirement in 1982, and many of the stations that carried his syndicated show were indeed ABC affiliates. And so, what this allowed was really three things. First and foremost, uh, many of the musicians and performers were union-based studio musicians, so the Lawrence Welk program was their primary source of income. So he allowed them to remain gainfully employed, you know, for another decade or more. The second thing is that he was able to continue to deliver his excellent product. To the audience that he had connected with for so long. And then the third thing is that he created a template, a business model that could be emulated by others that if you had something that you really believed in and that you knew had a market-based appeal that would make money for sponsors by drawing in the numbers he developed the platform for doing that. You didn't have to worry about catering to, as Mike Bragg has often said, the suits, the bean Mm -hmm. counters uh, Mm -hmm. who ran the networks at that time and who oftentimes made extraordinarily poor judgment about uh, audience ratings.
0: Lawrence Welk's cancellation in 1971, which would have probably... You know, been interpreted by most as a as a disaster. He actually, by his uh, incorporating the show into a syndicated package, actually came out ahead, uh, having more stations carry his program, and of course having a lot of those same stations that carried his program when it was on the network to continue to carry it.
2: So he was able to build his brand.
0: He was. Yeah. He was
2: able to build his brand, which then was able to become more popular with the books that he wrote uh, that followed. I believe one of them was titled "Wonderful Wonderful," nineteen sixty nine. Uh, My America, Your America, 1971, and My Musical Family Album, 1978. Mm -hmm. And then he later founded the Lawrence Welk Resort and Country Club in nearby Escondido Mm -hmm. in California, Mm -hmm. not far from where we live here in San Diego. And then, of course, there's a second resort in Branson, Missouri, which is operated by his son, Lawrence Jr. And so the legacy continues. And I think that's a tribute uh, to Mr. Wilkes' commitment to excellence, but equally important, commitment to honor and integrity, something that we don't see often in the context of uh, television or motion picture entertainment these days.
0: The 1971 cancellation of the Lawrence Welk Show from ABC was due to the the rural purge, as it's been called in uh, television history. It was during the late 60s and early 70s that uh, the television networks, particularly CBS, but also ABC, of course, in this case, began canceling programs that they felt, were attracting too old of an audience, and they wanted to get newer viewers watching these shows. And one of the victims was the Lawrence Welk show. Another one uh, was the Ed Sullivan show. Among many, there was uh, many, many shows that got canceled. Gomer Pyle, Petticoat Junction, Green Acres, a lot of them that were sort of rural-based sitcoms, and a lot of the variety shows that were canceled at that time. But... As we said, Lawrence Wilk managed to parlay that into a whole nother what, what was it, another 11 years, George? 11 oh, yeah, years, from 1971 fantastic.
2: to 1982.
0: Fantastic.
2: And I think, again, that's a tribute to his uh, the confidence that he had in his brand and the belief in his audience. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to understand that you know when you deal with uh people in the corporate world and of course my reference in this is in the context of investment banking and finance mike of course here has worked in the uh the music and entertainment industry, but the mindset is the same, isn't it, Mike? You're dealing with people that view the world uh, through a very narrow prism. They view it almost on a linear base. For them to depart and uh, engage in non-linear thinking really is a not not part of their DNA. So, a creative soul, an artist, uh, you know, can oftentimes find himself or herself pigeonholed, if you will, and I think, in some ways, condescended to. Uh, because of the misperception of uh, reading audience ratings. What do you think, Mike?
1: Well, what I think is the demise of FM radio. I call it the demise. It's still around, but I think there's a couple of guys around, maybe over more toward Del Mar who listen to FM radio, but not many people do anymore. And part of the reason was back to the bean counters and the corporate experts who think they know what it is that we want to hear. Uh in early television and radio, they really weren't too concerned about what we wanted to hear because they didn't have any data to reflect what we wanted to see in here. so they winged it. As with the shows Lawrence Welk and the other live shows, your show of shows, they just went out and they did their act. And somehow, some way, without benefit of the highly paid experts who seem to know what's going on inside our heads, these people proved very successful, and they were the pioneers of creating... Uh, the material the content that brought so many people on their easy chairs and and when you're a kid you lay on the floor and watch tv you don't get to sit in a chair uh, all together as a family unit and it and it crossed and crossed back and forth over demographics psychographics age age graphics uh, you could be an 8 year old laying on the floor watching a Lawrence Welk show with your 30-year-old mom and dad, and your 55 55-year-old grandparents, and you're uh, maybe a great-grandparent in the mix, and an aunt and an uncle, yes. and neighbors, and your dad may have been a roofer or a TV repairman, and your neighbor worked for the city, and try and figure that out nowadays. There's no there there. And in early programming for television and radio, it was just basically uh, let's play music. Let's mm-hmm. play the music that brought people to America the people that that remember tunes from the old country or tunes that their parents would sing be, as before they got to Ellis Island and became Americans and they brought that together and that was programming in the mid 20th century
2: I want to say also that you've really hit on it there Mike that music is something that unites all of us. It, it transcends generations. It transcends cultures. Music inspires. It uh, is something that stays with us forever. And no matter how old you become, you remember those wonderful songs. You remember what you were doing, where, who you were with in the manner that you just described. And I think Lawrence Welk knew that in his heart, in his mind, in his soul, because... Um, When Mr. Welk passed away at age 89, uh, he was interred in Holy Cross Cemetery in Los Angeles. It's a Roman Catholic cemetery. And I mention that because Mr. Welk, by the way, was a devout Roman Catholic and a daily communicant. And so his faith was very important to him, as well as his love of his craft. And this is what is inscribed on his headstone. It says, keep a song in your heart. What a wonderful tribute... And what a beautiful message that is to keep a song in your heart, because, you know, whether you are a secular person or a person of faith, that expression, keep a song in your heart is something that inspires you and indeed encourages you to continue to do whatever it is you're doing, but to do so with a good spirit, with happiness. And that's how you do it with a song in your heart.
0: That is indeed a beautiful sentiment of Lawrence Welk, and thank you for sharing that with us, George. And uh, we're probably going to use that to begin to end our show for today. The half hour has just flown by incredibly fast, as we remembered Lawrence Welk you know you mentioned we've mentioned bobby burgess a number of times on our show and i think one of his first appearances on the lawrence welk show was doing a dance number to the to the hit the big hit calcutta from 1960 now when we close our show we'll play a little cut of that for you uh that was lawrence welk's biggest hit i believe was calcutta and um we want to uh play a little bit of that for you when we end the show but we Certainly hope that you've enjoyed these memories of Lawrence Welk. This is uh, another one of those topics that we keep saying that we could just be here for hours talking about it because there are a lot of dimensions involved in remembering Lawrence Welk and remembering his show as Mike and George have brought out some very good points and hopefully you have good memories of watching Lawrence Welk back in the day. If you do, we'd love to hear from you. Why don't you take a moment and send us an email. Our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightsight.com at gmail.com, Nightside at gmail.com. Our website is Nightside, of course, and if you go to our website, don't forget, each and every month, our good friend here, George Halilakos, posts a wonderful blog that will certainly take you back to an earlier time, and they're very well written and very enjoyable, so we encourage you to go ahead and check out our website. And also, don't forget our presence on Facebook, the Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside page on Facebook, where you can join us, we post things up there, you can like our page, and that way you can stay tuned as to any new developments that we may have coming along. Don't forget, all of our library of shows of well over 200 programs are available on iTunes and on Mixcloud.com. And that's all the time we have for today. Until next time, I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm George. And we thank you for joining us on this episode of Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. Galaxy Nostalgia Network.